Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Um, we want to welcome you this morning. This morning's just a little bit different. My name is Terry, and it's a joy to welcome you here. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we have a special guest speaker. And uh, I remember getting a phone call about a year ago uh, from some friends in the church, and they said, uh, Pastor Terry, we have uh, a special guest that's coming into the area who's going to be leading a marriage retreat. And uh, he's a phenomenal speaker. Um, he's just got such great talent. And we were wondering if you'd be maybe interested in hosting him here at Ocean View to allow him to come and to bless our church family. And I said, I- I'm definitely open. What's his name? And and uh, they said, well, his name is Dr. Charles Lowry. And I, I kind of chuckled on the other end of the phone um, because at my last church years and years ago, I had the privilege of meeting Dr. Lowry, having him come in to speak at our church in Fort Lauderdale at an event and, and absolutely loved and was blessed by the ministry that God has given him. And so um, I'm really, really excited that uh, we have the privilege to be able to sit and to be able to hear uh, the word of God from him. A uh, little bit about uh, Dr. Lowry. He's from Texas right now. Um, he has a lovely wife, Penny, that you'll be able to meet uh, out at in the back at the table before you exit today. Um, he has three daughters that you'll hear a little bit about. And he carries a doctorate in psychology, sorry Clemson fans, from the University of South Carolina. You know, it's really interesting in church that, you know, I can preach the word of God and the hands sit underneath, but you mentioned anything about South Carolina. Woo! Hands raising. I, I just don't understand. That's okay. That's okay. Um, he currently is president and CEO of the Lowry Institute for Excellence. Um, he has his own pri- has had his private practice. He travels all over the country uh, to encourage not only churches, but businesses, uh, but more importantly, his ability to be able to take um, his talent that God's given him and weave it into the word of God to be able to challenge hearts is incredible. Speaking to over 100,000 people every single year, Um, and it's my honor to be able to introduce to you, and church, would you give a warm welcome to Dr. Charles Lawry. Thank you, man. It's always good to be back home in South Carolina, and uh, your pastor, actually, I met him first at the beach in Fort Lauderdale, and now I find out he's at the beach here, so evidently deep down, God's called him to preach, teach, and go to the beach, and so I took uh, my kind of guy. I'm gonna, uh, I am a psychologist by training. He introduced me as that, and I, uh, many years of my life, I spent at a mental health clinic. Uh, I was chief of diagnostic and clinical services. I ended up leaving the mental health clinic. One reason I left the mental health clinic, I couldn't tell the staff from the patients, uh, <laughs> except the staff had the keys. Other than that, I couldn't tell a whole lot of different. The, 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 the staff seemed to have as many problems as the patients had. And so I left the mental, I had a unique life. I left the mental health clinic. So one week I worked at the mental health clinic, and the next week I worked at a Baptist church. Uh, people say, was that a big adjustment? And I say, no. Uh, the staff still had the keys, but other than that, I can't tell a whole lot of difference. Uh, but actually, I'll be honest with you. I reached a point in my life where I got tired of being a psychologist. I just got tired of it. I, I got tired of listening. I got tired of saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I can understand how you feel that way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I reached a point where I thought, why am I doing the listening and they're doing the talking? They don't know anything. They're seeing a psychologist. I, I got a Ph.D. I know some stuff. Why don't I do some talking and they do some listening? Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? It wasn't a good idea. It, it didn't uh... 
it didn't go well at all. Actually, the guy would say, the reason I'm a loser is because my dad was an alcoholic. And I said, well, there's another way of looking at it. Maybe your dad's an alcoholic because you're a loser. I mean, there is another way of looking at it. People will not pay for that, you understand. They will not pay for that. You know. Uh, so I decided to move on a little bit. So we're going to help you today in terms of relationships. And it's going to be very practical. All right? I've always been very practical. Even when I was in private practice, I was a practical kind of guy. One of my first patients couldn't remember anything. I said, when did your problem start? He said, I can't remember. I said, how long you had it? He said, I can't remember. I said, what have you done about it? He said, I can't remember. Doc, I can't remember anything. What do I do? I said, here's what you do. You pay me in advance. That's what you do. Always been very practical, you understand? Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. For the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good to be alone. You read any psychological profile of anybody that does anything strange, weird, perverted, you'll usually see a little phrase, this person was a loner. It's not good to be alone. You end up being strange, weird, maybe even perverted. Actually, it's especially not good for men to be alone. Look at the research. Single men go in the prison and the state hospital a lot more than married guys, right? I, I'm, I'm going to encourage you married guys right now. Any married, you married, any married guys, raise your hand. Married guys. I'm going to encourage you married guys. I, I, I don't know how your marriage is going, but let's look at it in a positive way. It's keeping you out of prison, <coughs> keeping you out of state hospital. That's, you ought to thank your wife right now. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, yeah. And the reason it's keeping you out of the state hospital because your wife will tell you when you're crazy, right? She'll say, you're crazy. Don't do that anymore. They'll put you in a state hospital. Uh, so it's, it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, so God created family. God created marriage. God created the church. The church is the family of God. God knew in this fallen world there'd be divorce and death and dysfunction. And, and some people choose to remain single, but he doesn't want anybody to be single. He doesn't want anybody to be alone. So you can be around other people to complete you. So he created marriage and family and the church. Now, why would this be? Well, think about it. This is before sin came into the world. So Adam had a perfect spiritual relationship with God. So even if you could have a perfect spiritual relationship with God, God is the one that said, you can't be all I want you to be by yourself. You have to be around other people to complete you so your personality developed to be the, the way I created you to be. Now, if you think about it, it makes sense because the Bible also says we are made in the image of God. Now, that's encouraging, isn't it, that you're made today in the image of the Creator God? Now, that image has been defaced because of the fall of man, but it's not been erased. You have some of the characteristics that God has. Well, what's God like? Well, if you read the Bible, God has three personalities. He is Father, He is Son, and He's Holy Spirit. If you grew up in church, you probably heard that referred to as the Trinity. The Trinity is one of those heavenly concepts Hard to understand down here on earth. If somebody tells you they totally understand the Trinity, they will lie about other stuff too. I promise you. They don't totally understand it. But although I don't understand it, I can accept it and I can relate to it. When my kids were young, the cousins would come over and visit and the cousin would call me 
Uncle Charles. And my daughters would look at them and say, he's not your Uncle Charles. He's my daddy. And they'd say, no, he's not. He's Uncle Charles. He's daddy. He's Uncle Charles. He's daddy. And they'd get a little tiff over that. Why? In their childish brain, they couldn't understand how it could be two personalities at the same time. How could I be Uncle Charles and daddy at the same time? Couldn't figure it out. Can't understand it. How could God be three personalities at the same time? In my childish mind, can't figure it out. Can't understand it. For some reason, God the Father needed God the Son in order to do the work of salvation. And God the Son needed God the Holy Spirit in order to make His love permanent in our lives. And then it says this, we are made in the image of God. So what does that mean? Here's what it means practically. You need to be around other personalities to complete you. Because it would be dysfunctional if you tried to create personalities. You are made in the image of God and you can create things, but you don't create in a divine way. You create in a dysfunctional way. You can create your own personalities. Matter of fact, we have a diagnosis for that. We call that multiple personality disorder, and we will put you in a state hospital if you do it that way. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to be around other personalities to complete you. Well, how does it work? Well, life works in stages. Uh, and and people say there are certain stages of life. Somebody says you four stages. You believe in Santa Claus. You don't believe in Santa Claus. You are Santa Claus, and you look like Santa Claus. That that may be true. Uh, but you have different you needs at different stages. For example, my wife and I are in the empty nest stage of life. People say, when does life really begin? I can tell you when life really begins. It's when the kids leave home and the dog dies. That's pretty much when life really begins. Uh, 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 But your needs will change on what stage and age of life you're in. For example, I know a guy that's getting married, and he's he's an old guy. You can't say old nowadays. He's chronologically gifted. How's that? You know, he's he's about ninety, and he's he's going to marry this lady that's like eighty. And of course, his buddies are giving him a hard time and say, "Oh, why are you marrying her? Can she cook?" No, she can't cook. Well, does she have a lot of money? No, she doesn't have a lot of money, you know. Uh, well, does she have a nice house? No, she doesn't really have a nice house. Well, why are you marrying her? He says, I'm marrying her because she can drive at night. That's why I'm marrying her. Uh, uh, so your needs are going to change a little bit depending on how old you are, you know. Uh, matter of fact, I, I asked that guy, I said, how'd it go? He said, yeah. He said, it went well, but I had to ask her two questions. I said, two questions? He said, yeah. I got out on my knees, and I said, will you marry me? And then I said, could you help me back up? You know, so it's just going to change a, a, a little bit. So let me, let me teach you the stages that life goes through. Relationships goes through these stages, but pretty much all of life goes through these stages. And the first stage is that wonderful stage when you see all the good in the situation. Remember the first time when you really wanted a job and maybe you got some people to recommend you and you thought you'd found the perfect job. I mean, you're going to get to do this and you're going to get off for this and you're going to get a budget for this and you found the perfect job and it is until you go to work, right? And then I didn't know about this and they didn't tell me about that. You mean I have to, that's the way life is. You know, you find the perfect church. It is until you join. And well, I didn't know they went here and I didn't know they did that. You find the perfect friend and they are to get to know them everybody's normal to get to know them. And then I didn't know they did this. I didn't know they did that. And that's the way it is with relationships, especially when you add that 
hormonal factor to it. You know, the urge to merge factor. You know, when one gland's calling out to another gland, let's get together. You know, that that factor of life. Uh, And by the way, that's a great stage of life to be in. But it's a pitiful stage to watch. Uh, I uh, I used to do premarital counseling. I, I quit doing that too because I got sick of looking at that stage. You know, I wanted to say, take your hands off each other and listen to me. You know, uh, uh, I would try to shock them into reality. Like, uh, have a job? No. Finish school? No. Got any money? No. How you gonna live? Love. <laughs> And then they jump on each other again. You know that stage. You know. I want to say I give you five years for this body chemistry to turn to toxic waste. Uh, uh, but uh, I'm a nice guy, so I say something like, "Why don't you register paper plates at Toys R Us?" Because you don't know what you're doing. You know. Uh, uh, but but we all were in that stage, weren't we? I mean, I. I and by the way, men lie during that stage, you know. I mean, I lied, you know, whatever Penny said. I just said yes, you know. She says, you love shopping? Yes, I love shopping. You love the mall? Oh, I love the mall. Just to watch you shop at the mall, honey, that'd be wonderful. Let's merge. <laughs> God knew I was lying. He looked down and said, that's my boy Charles. He's lying. He just wants to merge. I better teach him a lesson. He'll lie the rest of his life. Birth angel, come here. Send him three daughters. He's going to spend his life in the mall for lying. Oh. Well, that's how I got three girls. I, uh, but that's why I know so much about women. I mean, most of my life I've lived in a girl's dorm. I tell you, about every other day I was hit with blunt force drama, you know, right? Boom, you know. Uh, some days are really tough. Some days I'd actually go out and talk to the mailbox. The mailbox the only male thing in my house. I'd say, mailbox... It's tough in there today, mailbox. Uh, three teenage girls at one time. We had so much hairspray, things would actually stick in midair. You know, I could take a, I take a Diet Coke and stick it in midair and come back and get it later. But we've all been there. That, that wonderful stage of life. But what happens after wonderful? War. You see, opposites attract from a distance, but opposites attack up close. The very thing that attracts you starts to irritate you. Sometimes it happens very quickly. Guy got up on his honeymoon, looked at his sweet wife and says, where's my hot breakfast? Mother always made me a hot breakfast. She said, you want a hot breakfast? Put those fruit loops in the microwave. That'll be hot. (laughs) Hey, buddy, set those cornflakes on fire. That'll warm you up. We've all been there, haven't we? You know, I was... One reason I was attracted to Penny was not only she is beautiful, she was organized. I mean, man, organized. I need that because I'm not organized. I got, I got a photographic mind, but I lose the film. You know, I need somebody to keep up with stuff, you know. So I thought that'd be great have somebody organized. I just didn't know how organized until we got married. I knew I was in trouble when she wanted to clean up the rice at the wedding before we went on the honeymoon. You know, that's organized. You know? Got up one night to go to the bathroom, came back, the bed was made, and I thought, man, that's over. That's, that's, that's overnight, you know. So we go from wonderful to war, but then we start to wonder. We wonder, did we join the wrong church? We wonder, did we get the wrong friend? We even wondered, did we marry the wrong person? I'll get these guys and... Uh, they'll come in and they'll be all nervous, you know, seeing a psychologist looking around. And I, I get nervous, too. I mean, I see some strange people. When they look around, I look around. I don't know what they're looking for. I, you know, uh, you know, 
One guy was so paranoid he thought the people in front of him were following him. That's paranoia, you understand. You know? So when they look around, I look around. He leans forward, and I lean forward, and I say, what, what, what's your problem? He said, oh, Doc, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. I said, what is it? Tell me. It's, it's terrible. I said, tell me. He said, Doc, I think I've married the wrong person. I said, that's your problem? That's it? He said, that's it. I said, hey, I got good news for you. Everybody else did too. What else you want to talk about? He says, what do you mean? Well, in a sense, everybody married the wrong person. Why? You married this fantasy person. They look good. They smell good. They never went to the bathroom. You got a perfect person here. And then you get married, you got a real person. They don't always look good, don't always smell good. They spend their life in the bathroom. You got a real person here. But what happens is you start comparing your real person with a fantasy. You start comparing the facts with that fantasy. I'd get guys coming to my office. They'd be looking around and say, oh, Dr. Larry, I, I, got, I got this problem. I said, what is it? I said, I'm falling in love with my secretary. She dresses better than my wife. She listens better. She's always in a good mood. I said, I got an answer for that. Pay your wife. Let her off at 4 o'clock. You know, <laughs> she'll be in a great mood, I promise. You start comparing things that can't be compared. These ladies will say, oh, Dr. Lowry, my husband would just listen the way you'd listen. If he'd be compassionate the way you're compassionate. If he'd look into my eyes when I talk the way you look into my eyes. I said, pay him $150 an hour like you're paying me. He'll look in your eyes when you talk. You, know? <laughs> you only have two choices in life, my friend. Only two. You can tear up that fantasy that does not exist. And you can set your mate, your kids, your job, your pastor as a gift of God. Or else you'll spend the rest of your life tearing up those people, trying to make them look like a fantasy that does not exist. And you'll end up being a very miserable person. The fact of the matter is relationships just take work. They take work. If the grass is greener, it's because somebody's watered it, fertilized it, taken care of it. If the grass is green and nobody appears to be taking care of it, there's a septic tank somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? Life doesn't work like that. So we have to do the work of relationships. But you cannot do the work of relationships unless you understand the worship of relationships. Relationships are not secular. They're spiritual. Jesus met a lady at the well who'd been married five times and was living with a guy, okay? Now, she was taking a whack out of finding a guy who could meet all of her needs. I mean, five of them, you know. Jesus said to her, and he may be saying to you, what are you going to realize? Another person will never meet your deepest needs. Another person will always let you down. Another person is incapable of giving you unconditional love all the time and total forgiveness. And when you're looking for another person to do that, who, by the way, has the same problems you have, you're looking for another person to do that, you're going to be dissatisfied. Jesus used the word thirsty. And he said to her, and he may be saying to you, let me give you living water. Let me give you what will satisfy. Let me give you unconditional love all the time and total forgiveness, which you need. 
And then you will be freed up. You will feel loved. You will feel blessed. You will feel treasured so you can then bless and treasure other people. You see, I believe the way you treat other people actually is the truest form of worship. God is the one that made how you treat people a form of worship. Why? Because in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, talking to men, it says, Men, if you don't treat your wife in the right way, your prayers won't be answered. Matter of fact, it goes on to say, if you do treat people the right way, in verse 12, God's ears will be open to your prayers. I believe that Jesus was the true worshiper. He had to be. He gave more glory to God than anybody. So if you want to be a true worshiper, you need to do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Well, he went to the synagogue. It didn't go real well when he went, but he went. There's no record of Jesus singing songs. He sang, he, he was at an event one time when they sang a song going out. But in other words, what we call worship, we have created. Nothing wrong with coming here. Nothing wrong with singing great songs. You had great, great music. But worship really doesn't happen in here. Worship happens out there. This is getting you ready to worship. Worship is doing what Jesus did. Well, what did he do? He loved people the way God wanted them to be loved. He blessed people the way God wanted them to be blessed. You see, that's the ultimate form of worship. Worship is not about raising your hands. It's about reaching out your hands. See, And here's why it is crucial in relationships. Because people need love the most when they least deserve it. When my wife's in a good mood and things are going well, my schedule's full, there's money in the bank, the grandkids are doing good, and people are buying my books, which I'd appreciate if you would. Uh, It's pretty easy to love my wife. But guess what? She doesn't need my love then, really. You know when she needs my love? She's in a stinking mood. No money in the bank. Schedule's empty. Nobody buying any books. And the grandkids are messing up. And I say something nice to her. She says something grumpy back to me. That's when she really needs my love. And that's when I really don't want to give it to her. (laughs) I want to say, stick it in your ear, lady. I deserve better than this. But that's when I can love her as an act of worship. You see, I can love her when she's a jerkette. Why? Because God loved me when I was a jerk. That's why. You see, she can love me when I'm a jerk. Why? Because God loved her when she's a jerkette. That's why. You see, there's a higher commitment to our love. That's why we've been married over... 45 years. That's why we married the rest of our lives. That's why we grow and break our hips together. Why? Because we see it as an act of worship. I promise you, you cannot keep up the incredibly hard work it is of loving people unless you see it as an act of worship. Well, how do you make love last? And we won't be able to finish the message. We've never actually finished a message in our life. But L stands for learn, A stands for appreciate what you have, S stands for serve out of who you are, not trying to impress people with what you do, and then T stands for tell yourself every day what's really important in life. So we will do L and we will do T. And all you people who have that little obsessive uh, compulsive syndrome can get the uh, CD back there and 
fill in your little blanks. Okay. Uh, L stands for learn. You have to learn how to love people. Most people try to love people the way they've been loved, or they try to love people the way they want to be loved themselves. That's not loving other people. That's loving yourselves and being with somebody else, all right? Some of you guys take your kids to do what you want to do. That's actually loving you and taking your kids along with you. You know, each kid is made in a different way. The Bible says he has a a particular bent and your job as a parent is to find out what that bent is and then you love him in that way we have to learn how to do that how do you know god loves you the only way you know god loves you is he left his world and entered your world that's the only way people are going to know that you love them if you leave your world and enter their world so i'm going to do a little experiment with you i've done this all over the country i've done it with companies like hewitt packard i'm going to teach you how to know when you're in a world different than the world you're in and how it feels that actually you may feel pain and not love. So I'm going to take the world of children. If you ever took Psych 101, you probably heard a guy named Piaget. He talked about the stages that kids go through. And so let's use children as an example because we all can relate. Well, let me ask you, how many of you ever been a kid or know a kid? Uh, see, we can all relate to kids. Well, Kids up to a certain age cannot think abstractly. They can only think concretely. They, their brain hasn't matured. That's why kids do weird stuff, by the way. You know, you see, a, I saw a kid with a burnt lip. I said, how'd you burn your lip, kid? He said, I was licking my nightlight. I said, why would you do that? He said, I've never licked one before. Uh, See, that makes perfectly good sense to a kid. He can't think about licking it. He has to go lick it, all right? So I'm going to teach you what it's like to be in a world different than the world you're in, and I'm going to teach you when you think you're loving somebody, you may be causing them pain. So if you're physically able, I want you to take your arms and raise them as high as you can. I want you to keep them up as long as you can because I want to cause as much pain as I can. See, kids cannot enter our world and so they get very confused. Listen to a kid say, I pledge allegiance to the flag. You think he says that? No, they're all abstract words. He doesn't have a clue what that means. So he makes up words like, I lead the pigeons to the flag or something like that. You think he says one nation indivisible? He'll say a naked individual every time. <laughs> Listen to kids at church. Church is all abstract. They don't have a clue what we're talking about at church. They think God's name is Howard. Howard be thy name. Maybe his name is Art, who art in heaven. They pray, give us this day our jelly bread. They say the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Olivia, Newton, John, uh, <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Lexus. I mean, it's confusing to them. One kid had a teacher named Mrs. Murphy, always keeping him after school, giving him homework. He translated that psalm, surely goodness, Mrs. Murphy will follow me all the days of my life. Uh, one kid got it all confused, thought round John Virgin was the fattest of the 12 opossums. Uh, listen to them at church. They don't even sing the songs we sing. We were, I was standing by a kid. We were singing, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. He was singing, soon and very soon, we are going to Burger King. Anybody feeling any pain? Okay, it's going to feel good. Put your arms down. See, now you know what it's like for a three-year-old to go to the mall with their parents. One takes one arm, one takes the other arm, and you walk them around like this for hours. 
And you tell the kid, we love you. Took you out of preschool. You're having fun, aren't you? He's dying. Don't ever forget what you just learned. Many times, many times, you think you're loving somebody. But you're loving them from your world. And you've never entered their world. And not only are you not loving them, it's just causing a lot of pain. T stands for tell yourself every day what's really important in life. You say, how do you know what's really important in life? You live life backwards. You go to the end of your life and look back on your life. One day you'll come to the end of your life. You're going to die. Death runs in my family. I think it runs in yours. You're going to die. Pretty much come in this world, no teeth, no hair, no bladder control. That's pretty much how you're going out. You're going to die. It's a short trip from diapers to depends, isn't it? Don't get arrogant about life. Well, when you die, you know, they'll, uh, they'll have your funeral. You know, the pastor will say some nice words. They'll put you in a box, and then uh, your family will go home and eat potato salad. That's pretty much what's going to happen. That's what we do. You say, well, how do you know what's important in life? Well, life's kind of like Monopoly. Anybody remember Monopoly? It might be like the History Channel, some of you kids. Uh, Monopoly, they, they had this board game back, you know, before the wars. And uh, uh, everybody wanted Boardwalk or Park Place. Remember that? Man, Boardwalk or Some of you doing good. You got Boardwalk, Park Place. Way to go. Some of you got, remember the yellow ones and the green ones? Some of you got some of those. Way to go. Remember Baltic? Anybody remember Baltic on the corner? Even when you landed on Baltic, you didn't even want it, did you? I don't want Baltic. Yeah, Baltic. <laughs> some of you thought life was going to be like Boardwalk, didn't you? And it's more like Baltic. Hey, I'm here to encourage you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you live on Boardwalk or Baltic because life's like Monopoly when it's all over. Everything's going back in the box. Next generation, play with it or fight over it like a Monopoly game. So what's important in life? Well, there's a powerful business phrase. Here's what they say in the business world. You've probably heard it. They say, learn to think outside the, learn to think outside the box. I, I got some homework. Go to somebody's funeral. Uh, take Yogi Bear's advice. Yogi said, if you don't go to their funeral, they probably won't come to yours. That's what Yogi said. Uh, but, but go to somebody's funeral, and I'll, sh- I'll tell you what's going to show up. It shows up at everybody's funeral. Same three things. Faith, family, friends. It's pretty much the essence of all of life because those are the only things that don't go back in the box. My wife is with me a lot. She's heard me use that line many times where I say, they're going to put you in a box and your family's going to go home and eat potato salad. Heard it probably, she's probably heard it 200 times. Something happened to us, I hope never happens to you, but it could. Two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, you never forget when your life changes. Two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, I told my five-year-old grandson that his two-year-old brother was dead. People brought us things. You know what people do. And one day my wife motioned for me to come to the refrigerator. She wanted to show me something. Just tears in her eyes. She couldn't really get any words out. She just wanted me to look. She's pointing down. I looked down and somebody had brought us a large bowl of potato salad. And she said this. It happens to everybody. It even happens to us. And then she said, when you go around the country and tell that potato salad story, you tell those people, if you have someone to love, you need to love them now. I would add, if you have someone to forgive, you need to forgive them now. I hope you meet Penny. Penny is a 
grew up different from me. Penny has a lot of culture. She has a lot of class, all right? I, I, I don't, you've heard me speak. I have no culture. I have no class. She spent her life trying to give me culture, to give me class, to take me places. She said, we're going to New York, to the Met. I thought we're going to a ball game. I was pretty excited about it. Come to find out we went to this large museum. She loves museums. She loves the opera. I, I don't get the opera. My neighborhood, you shot a guy, he died. He didn't bleed and sing for 20 minutes. He just died, you know. <laughs> she likes the ballet. I don't get the ballet. I, I told her if they got taller men and women, they wouldn't have to stand on their tiptoes. Everybody could relax, have a lot more fun. Well, she wanted to go to Paris, France for one of our anniversaries, and she wanted to go to the Louvre. Now, the Louvre is one of the largest museums in the world world. It's huge. So I went to the Louvre. Matter of fact, if you're a guy like me and you have no class and you get the opportunity to go to the Louvre, I'd pass it up. But uh, A lot of naked men statues. I don't get it. I mean, I just don't get it. Uh, uh, but, but Penny, you know, read all those inscriptions, you know, all these inscriptions. She said, which inscription did you like the best? I said, the one that said, exit. Uh, but hey, I went to the Louvre and, and I found out something at the Louvre. 1911, the Mona Lisa was stolen, the masterpiece. It was missing for two years. They knew they'd eventually get it back because you can't sell the Mona Lisa to pawn shop. I mean, they knew to get it back. They just didn't know when. So for two years, they left a blank space on the wall where the masterpiece used to be, Okay. Here's what they found out. More people came during that two-year period to look at that blank space on the wall where the masterpiece used to be than the previous 12 years put together to look at the real masterpiece. And you say, that's weird. No, that's normal. That's me and that's you. We do not appreciate the masterpieces that God brings into our lives until they become blank spaces. If you have someone you need to love, you need to love them now. Because I have no class, I like country music. My wife says that's an oxymoron, country music. It doesn't go together. And some of it is pitiful, isn't it? Papa love mama, mama love men, mama's in the graveyard, papa's in the pen. No redeeming social value whatsoever. <laughs> but there was one years ago that went something like this. I hear tell of millionaires and billionaires and such who gathered all the treasure in the world and they still don't have enough. If money could buy peace of mind, I guess they'd have it all. But all the money in the world won't hold you when you fall. And then it says this. I got a roof over my head. My kids have all been fed. And the woman I love most lies close beside me in my bed. Lord, give me the eyes to see exactly what that's worth. And I'll be the richest man on earth. The Bible says the same thing. In the book of Ephesians, it's called the eyes of the heart. It's the ability to see how rich you really are. And my friend, if you're a Christ follower, let me tell you, you're incredibly rich. Because he who's incredibly rich became poor 
so that one day you would be incredibly rich. Let me tell you how rich. So rich you will even inherit the riches of eternal life. That, my friend, means this. Not only can you think outside the box, one day you'll live outside the box. You see, Jesus is the only one that makes relationships last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Teach us to enjoy what you've given us, to appreciate what we have, to be grateful people. If someone here has never trusted Christ as their Savior, give them the faith to believe, not in a church or a ritual or routine, but that you came to live the life they could not live, to die the death they could not die, because you wanted them in your forever family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.